up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brantlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California, saying goodnight to Mr. Pocket, I'm Robert Denfeld. So in this episode, we are finally going to be ranking our top 10 movies, films of 2018. Yes. It may be early 2019. Who cares? Uh, We're going back. With the Golden Globes that... Yeah, that just happened, and the Oscars are six weeks away. There's going to be, you know, a lot of talk, I think, about quite a few of the films that we talk about here um, over these next few weeks. Some pontificating. Yeah, yeah, and we also wanted to make sure we saw as much as possible before finalizing our lists. Yes. You know, as we previously noted, uh, you and I take these lists very seriously. Uh, Mm -hmm. One may say too seriously. (laughs) One may say that, yes. I recall... I believe it was last year, the day we were going to record this. Best Movies of 2017, you just woke up and said, I'm not ready, I believe. No, exactly. Yeah. No, actually, um, my girlfriend Natalie reminded me that last year I woke up one morning after we had recorded the pod. And mm. I just, the first thing out of my mouth for, to start the day was, oh, I should have had whatever at number seven. And she was like, what are you talking about? So just Go back to sleep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, as I think everyone knows, listening to this, neither of us are professional film critics, so we don't see (laughs) 330 movies a year, uh, new movies. But we are big movie fans, and we live in, you know, are lucky to live in two kind of like metropolises of, of, you know, uh, movies are a big part of the culture. and. LA and New York area and we did see a lot so we're going to break down in detail our top 10 Mm -hmm. um Rod before we kind of get into our respective top 10s and some honorable mentions is there a few things you wanted to say about the year 2018 as a whole when it came when it came to movies yeah I mean I think we should just discuss for a few minutes just the the year as a whole I mean I think it was a great 2018 was a great year for movies there were so many movies worth seeing in the theater, worth watching at home, you know, a lot of uh, culturally hot ticket items, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, A Quiet Place, Hereditary, uh, you know, big movies, uh, Avengers, Black Panther, just a lot of things that came out that people talked about a lot and that, you know, felt like shared experiences between a a massive audience. So that's, that's really cool. Um, There were a lot of like great indie films, a lot of uh, amazing year for foreign films like the list of uh you know best picture nominees could be a foreign film category like it, the i don't know we'll get to it later a little bit but uh just an amazing year for like global cinema i would say and then also for documentary uh filmmaking just a, mm-hmm. a huge number of um worthwhile documentary films um uh, yeah. this year and yeah, so it also felt like a sort of a seminal year in terms of the at-home viewing uh, cinematic experience um, with, you know, most notably Netflix and, and the Roma release, uh, widely talked about release. It just kind of felt like the first year where it became a mainstream topic of conversation just discussing like how you should see this movie or, you know, that's been talked about in, in previous years, but the fact that yeah, more big, so than ever yeah year. big movies are now released directly to your your home you know theater and it you know not bad movies like really good movies are released you know it used to be the case that it's just like video on demand is these yeah you know, that had B movies or, right. yeah crappy movies but now it's like really good movies and are coming out straight to your 
home theater. So it's a, it felt like a seminal year in that regard. And then I, I will just say that my my list, um, it would have been easier for me to make a top 25 list, I would say, just because the num- the sheer volume of films that I saw. And I just think that there are a lot of notable, you know, noteworthy yeah. films that came out and things that I really enjoyed. And it's a fluid situation, as always. Like, this list, uh, you know, doesn't mean that much. You know, it's not set in stone in my mind, but... Yeah. I tried to do my best to sort of capture my feelings toward a lot of films. And my list of films I still want to see is longer than the films that I've seen. So uh, <laughs> that that I guess that just I, I saw a lot of new movies this year. Like we were talking about the number before. It's pretty high, but um, there's still a ton of movies I did not see. So, yeah, of course. And that's that's definitely the case case with me. Um, I will say. In my opinion, I would say 2018 year in movies, I I don't know, just kind of comparing it to the previous year and, you know, that was the year we launched the podcast and we did the same kind of episode. So just, I I felt it was like a natural comparison. Right. And while I was constructing my list, you know, I don't think that there was a movie I saw this year that I liked more than... Get Out, Lady Bird, or Phantom Thread, which were my top three of, of last year. Yeah. Which I thought was like fairly telling for me. Um, That's a good point. I thought I thought 2017 was, um, yeah, all in all, a, a really exceptional and great year, like year round. I thought like there was, I, I mean, we don't need to talk about 2017, it already happened, but I think, yeah, from beginning to end, like starting with Get Out, there mm-hmm. were a lot of really smart, engaging blockbusters, and then I thought it was a really good, you know, fall and winter and Oscar season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely prefer, I, yeah, I would say 2017 was definitely stronger. I mean, having said that, I cannot wait to talk about my 10 selections, which you yeah. know, I feel very passionately about yeah. and really, really liked to loved. And so, yeah, I mean, but I, th- that was kind of a distinction I wanted to ma- make before getting into our top tens of 2018. Sure. Um, so, wait, you're yeah, saying you, you, didn't, to, um, you didn't like Bird Box more than uh, more than <laughs> Lady Bird? <laughs> we, yeah, we can. I, I sent you some uh, vulgar texts about uh, <laughs> Bird, Bird Box. Box. Have you watched it yet? Break that that I won't. I, I did watch it. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, should we just, not spoil uh, it? Is it is it high up on? Just, <laughs> no. no, I just wanted to mention that it's movie. My number two. Yeah, getting back um, to that no, whole yeah, Netflix thing. That movie has apparently, uh, or reportedly, had forty five million Netflix five million. accounts accounts watch that uh, within the right. first two weeks of its release. Accounts. Yeah, like that is that's an insane stat. If that's true, I mean that's the box. I want to do like. Uh, uh, some math on the box office numbers that would have been i mean obviously people didn't have to leave their homes to watch it but that is yeah that yeah right that right. could be a, a new recipe oranges. yeah a new recipe oh, of, the, of course. the christmas I mean, release it, you know oh well absolutely i mean i remember in 2017 that that stupid sci-fi movie bright with uh will smith was like a huge success and right. again got like lukewarm reviews but people were all home mm-hmm. over the holidays with their family they don't have much plan they're kind of sitting around netflix already has this insanely massive user base right you log on they obviously put it as the first image you see oh it's a huge star um and sandra bullock oh it's uh kind of simply similar to the quiet place which was a big hit earlier this year Horror is, you know, horror does very well with, you know, we're kind of in a golden age of horror bit. Yeah. Um, it's got the, other big stars. I mean, I totally, but the in, word in also algorithm, like the social media meme. Yeah. yeah. Algorithm. The yeah. word algorithm has been tossed around more this year than I've ever heard in, in probably the first 29 At years least of my movies. life. Yeah. 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 
Um, anyway, we don't let's, uh, Bird Box is not on either list, whatever. I, I, I could talk about <laughs> Just that. Just wanted to make mention time, of Bird Box. <laughs> under no circumstance are you allowed to take off your blindfold. Yeah, so let's, um, and I, yeah, I also want to point out that neither of us have shared our list with one another yeah. at all. So our reactions will be uh, completely pure. Genuine not and that they organic. never are not. But they are uh, more pure than than usual. So yeah. let's let's get into it with a few honorable mentions. I know Rob, maybe I'll just hit on mine first, and sure. then you want to hit on yours. I know you have a, a a few more than me, but okay. Two honorable mentions I wanted to shout out didn't quite make my top ten, but I thought were rather excellent in their own right. Mm. First one is uh, Eighth Grade, uh, nice. directed by Bo Burnham. I think this movie really nails. That era where just of, you know, in eighth grade when you're, you know, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Where you and your peers are just like utter lost souls. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's like the most confused time of your life. You're Uh at your most insecure and vulnerable. And I just thought it was a really funny and touching story. Mm -hmm. Um, Elsie Fisher, uh, who plays the lead, uh, she gives just a perfect, albeit cringeworthy, performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought she couldn't have been better. And this is just a very enjoyable and likable movie. Definitely. I wanna I wanna shout out um, the actor uh, Jake Ryan who plays Gabe, who's the uh, kid yes. with the goggles at the pool, <laughs> yes. with the wide wide array of chicken nugget sauces. Yeah, the chicken nugget Yo, date. Yeah, Gabe, you killed it. Yeah, I got a twenty piece, and I also got two of every kind of sauce. But you know, if you have a favorite sauce and want the one packet of it, you can have mine. I like all the sauces equally. Thanks. Reminded me of my younger brother when he was when he was little. I've told him that, so this <laughs> won't be awesome. a surprise if he hears that again. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I just think it was like a great artifact of 2018 yeah. culture, and was a really good. It came out in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of like I think in 20. Just again, like to make reference to 2017. I thought um, it reminded me of something that almost came out during that summer because there was like a longer string of like funny adult smart like comedy dramas and and whatnot yeah this was also an honorable mention for me so i'll just quickly make note of it uh bo burnham wrote and directed the you know comedian and yeah a great a great look at uh you know youth uh life and angst and you know struggles and you know the the, i thought the relationship between the father and the daughter played Mm -hmm. by elsie fisher the the father's played by josh hamilton that was really authentic and felt you know very real and um very um very moving at times especially like a couple scenes toward the end and then yeah the pool Mm -hmm. party the pool party scene and the chicken nugget date were just amazing (laughs) classic scenes and i like how we both yeah feel strongly about the chicken nugget yeah it's probably not like charming (laughs) yeah right right and yeah it does have a lot of um really really nice well-written moments Mm -hmm. yeah just acted all around so um great movie yeah eighth grade and then uh, the other honorable mention I wanted to shout out was A Quiet Place, which nice. we talked about earlier this year when it came out. That was obviously a very big in-theater experience, what they mm-hmm. did with sound, uh, using it as the main device of horror or complete lack thereof. I mean, I loved how they committed 100% to that concept. Mm-hmm. I luckily had a very well-behaved theater yeah. experience, which really heightened it for me. Yeah. I was very nervous about that going in. We've kind of talked about how how much we kind of nitpick those around us at times yeah. during uh, the theater. And, and Don't this you one touch that popcorn. Way, <laughs> yeah, with the silence. Yeah, there wasn't a crunch yeah. 
crunch in insight which like was, they shouldn't uh, even sell candy for that movie like you can't you can't go crinkle in that bag of skittles trying to or open yeah it or, or like no ice there's yeah. no ice in your diet i'm <laughs> yeah. sorry um but yeah this movie i i just had really great in the moment intensity and fear i thought mm-hmm. there were some really really fine just cinematic sequences whether it was uh, the pregnancy sequence played uh, by Emily Blunt, who's, of mm. course, married to John Krasinski. Right. Uh, the nail, the reoccurring nail, oh, yeah. I thought, you know, maybe a little manipulative, but I, I bought into it yeah. and enjoyed how how that was just kind of handled throughout the movie. Um, yeah, just really well directed by, you know, John Krasinski. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved how the movie only hints at what's happening outside the world through, like, newspaper headlines. Yeah. And really loved the the final shot. Um, mm. which I, I guess won't spoil it, but I, I yeah. really love that final, yeah, that final shot just, uh-huh. it, it was, it was badass. And then I, I know they're, they're, I believe, I don't know if they're shooting the sequel yet, but they are hundred percent have the green light for the sequel. Yes. Uh, John Krasinski is back. I think he's, he's writing it and, and I've heard, yeah, some, um, he's put some things out in the press of like what he wants to do with the sequel and yeah uh yeah it'll be i may have some things to say about that that later (laughs) yeah yeah so those were kind of the two um i don't know there i was as we were talking before we started recording there was like this tier of like like seven other movies that i guess Mm -hmm. i could kind of fit into like honorable mention but like for whatever reason had like a certain flaw that didn't Mm -hmm. want me to like pull them into the honorable mention tier so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go with those two before getting in our top 10 so Rob, what were what were years that you had on your end as honorable mentions? Well, I wanted to mention the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Netflix mm. film, uh, the Joel and yeah. Ethan Cohen Cohen Brothers film, uh, released on Netflix November 9th. Um, it's a six part um, sort of made up Western old time fables story. <laughs> yeah, like it, yeah. it's like a, a fake book, like old Western story book. Uh, the film itself is six chapters from that book. So that's, it's basically six individual short films. And of course they all sort of deal with death and uh, crime in a certain regard. Uh, That's sort of the theme of the Coen brothers whole career. Um, Just an interesting format and a really cool sort of fun watch. You know, you could, you could say you liked four of the six or three of the six, but you know, there was something there for everybody I felt. And especially the, the all gold Canyon, um, right. That was my favorite. Yeah. The Mr. Pocket that's, that's sort of been universally, uh, regarded as the favorite or the best, uh, chapter. It's the fourth chapter in the series. And, Tom Waits' performance as the gold prospector in that was amazing. Uh, there's some other big stars, James Franco, Liam Neeson, Zoe Kazan, and other chapters, Stephen Root. Uh, but yeah, just a fun, interesting structure. Definitely worth watching. Um, I've actually gone back and watched the Mr. Pocket, the All Gold Canyon, twice since the, the first mm. watch, and it's just great. Um, loved it. So yeah, that's, that's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, my second honorable mention is Annihilation which uh, we may hear on your list. I'm, I'm sort of forecasting. I don't know. Um, it, was, it was really close to, to being on my list. Um, I think the reason I didn't put it on there is because I saw it so long ago, and I, like, Yeah, it came barely, out in, like, February, right? Yeah, it came out in think, yeah. late February, and, you know, barely remember it, honestly. Like, it seems like so much has happened in my life since then. Um, but... A really cool movie, you know, directed by Alex Garland, written and directed. Um, It's based on a book, a a novel, a James Vandermeer novel. And 
Something interesting about this, Alex Garland um, claims that he only read the novel once and he adapted yeah, right. he adapted it for the screen based <laughs> That's on pretty like, disrespectful. Yeah, based on like his recollection of the book, which is I think it, I don't know if it's disrespectful as much as it's sort of like an interesting take on adapting something, yeah. you know, um, right. It's kind of becomes your own thing. Um, I don't know. It And it kind of the story itself kind of lends itself to uh, that that sort of uh adaptation format um anyway cool movie the shimmer yeah, annihilation I, I was gonna say because actually it did not it is not in my top 10 and i oh cool I, well as, yeah, as you can we see can talk about it a little then yeah <laughs> um well yeah i saw this when it came out we we talked about it on the pod when it was first released and yeah had a very striking ending mm-hmm. um which we went over in detail but was one of those endings that everyone was leaving the theater kind of like whispering to each what other like it was a cool experience <laughs> yeah. in that in that sense like it definitely goes for it mm-hmm. at the end um yeah like i like the sci-fi horror element of it there's mm-hmm. a few really terrifying scenes of course there are the uh what is it uh the bear oh yeah uh, the, the bear, skull, skull face skull, bear yeah, yeah with that massive yeah, that, crocodile that, thing with shark's teeth and yeah, yeah and it has a, yeah a lot of a creativity natalie mm-hmm. portman's really good i i think yeah the main flaw for me with that movie was it just felt a little forced um mm. the bat the the romance story that they kept kind of going doing flashbacks to right felt a little heavy-handed um and uneven but sure, I, I thought the world that. building of, of the shimmer and yeah. I, I remember I loved like the score. There was like this synthesizer that mm-hmm. pulsates throughout and some really great sequences. I was going to rewatch this the other night yeah, and I, I did not because there was no option on demand seemingly where you could just rent it. I had to well, buy it. I was like, I just don't want to buy <laughs> annihilation just to see if it may be on my top I 10 again. I don't know. I was just well, like, since then, I put my foot down. And, yeah. Since that text you sent me, it's actually now available on Amazon prime. So, uh, for <laughs> the next day yeah, yeah. for you they, they and for me. people out there, it is available to stream now. Yeah. Great performances. Natalie Portman, Jennifer, Jennifer, Jason Lee, yeah. Oscar Isaac, Tessa Thompson, yeah. Gina Rodriguez. Cool movie. Uh, didn't quite crack my list. And the last honor- honorable mention, so we can start our top tens here. Uh, I just wanted to quickly shout out vice, mm. the Adam McKay movie starring Christian Bale, uh, a- Amy Adams, Sam Rockwell, uh, Steve Carell, uh, it's it's still in theaters. Obviously, it was just released around Christmas. Um, I think it's released on Christmas Day. Definitely worth seeing for people out there. Um, it's It's been sort of a divisive and uh, polarizing film. It's obviously pretty uh, liberal in its in its viewpoint. And um, but I mean, it is presenting a story about a pretty disgusting, terrible man <laughs> who was able to sort of manipulate his way into power and change the country and the world for the worse in a lot of ways. So, um, and, and it's not even, it's not even about like the political nature of the film that I liked. It's, it's just a really like interestingly cut and shot, uh, film. And Mm -hmm. like just the presentation itself is really interesting and had some unique elements to it. I think Christian Bale is a a shoe in for best actor, uh, I think he mm. will, will win that award. Um, Steve Carell was really good as Donald Rumsfeld. Amy Adams plays Lynn Cheney. She was really good. She'll be nominated and not win. She is always seemingly nominated but does not win. And yeah, so I just think it's worth seeing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people yeah, I'm are not talking about this movie. So 
That'll be the next movie I see in theaters probably in the next week. Yeah, you should. Uh, I also liked how we're recording this the day after the Golden Globes that Christian Bale thanked Satan for the inspiration. <laughs> for inspiration, yeah. That was, was a, a nice a nice sound bite. Nice touch, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you can make the argument that Christian Bale is like, now that Daniel Day-Lewis is officially retired, is like consensus greatest actor in the world and talking yeah. about disappearing into roles. It seems like that's the same case. It sounds like, you know, he won the Golden Globe last night. Probably, yeah, the favorite for best actor. I think Bradley Cooper is, I mean, I haven't seen Vice. I, you know, it, it's a very, and you know, uh, Ethan Hawke. For, anyway, this isn't an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, but, we'll talk um, about that. I, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I, I will see Vice, but yeah, it's one that I wasn't able to, uh, to get in time to record this podcast, but yeah. cool. Do you want to get into the, the official top 10 now? Yeah, let's do it. So my number 10 is a movie called Searching. Oh, nice. I'm Margo. I'm 15. 911. My daughter is missing. They can't find Margo. She gets a fake ID. She sends money to herself. This case is being considered an abduction. Have you seen Searching? No, I haven't. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I know about it. it. Yeah. I don't know many people that have seen it outside of, you know, film Twitter and, and, and things like that. Like, I don't uh-huh. know. I don't know, like friends that have seen this per se, but it is a, if you're unfamiliar, a story, a father's daughter goes missing, he investigates her disappearance, and the the crux of the entire execution is the entire movie is told exclusively through a desktop computer and smartphone screen. Cool. Literally, there's not a single shot that's not through through the desktop computer and, and smartphone screen. Hmm. So this is directed by a guy, Anish uh, Chiganti, and he got to start making Google commercials, and he kind of pitched this story initially as a short, and they loved the pitch so much that they gave him a full like production budget for a feature instead. Hmm. So with Searching, I just found this to be an extremely clever way to tell a story. Um, the dad, who's played by John Cho, uh, he pieces together the investigation just using like these digital breadcrumbs. So mm. it felt like a Hitchcock movie in like the okay. most hyper digitized modern way. Cool. Um, you know, whether it's like through, he leverages like FaceTime calls and Facebook messages and emails and Google Maps and mm-hmm. MP4s and search histories and Venmo transactions and huh. all these kind of little things to peel back the layers of like the mystery. Yeah, that's um, cool. Th- there's a lot of twists. Um, it's it's quite unpredictable. Keeps you guessing. And, you know, the gimmick, it, you know, it's rather short. I believe it's a little over 90 minutes. And the gimmick doesn't wear thin. And I just, I really like how they went all in with this concept. Um, literally, yeah, there isn't a single shot in searching that isn't through um, a, like a desktop computer screen. That's or wild. A smartphone screen. Yeah, and, innovative. Yeah, and yeah, hard to, to execute too, I imagine. Yeah. And, um, you know, the ending, I will say, is a bit uh, ridiculous and rushed, but <laughs> okay. it didn't keep me from sneaking it into my top 10 of the year. So nice. I would really recommend checking this one out to people. It's, it's uh, you know, it's really original and creative, but also entertaining and mm-hmm. intense and, and, and heartfelt as well and, and fun. So Searching is my, my number 10 of the year. Nice. My number 10 is... The only film that we saw together this year, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Mm. My name is Miles Morales, and I thought I was the one and only Spider-Man. Dimension opening now. Until today. You're like me. Hey, guys. How many more Spider-People are there? Hey, fellas. Hello. This could not get any weirder. It can get weirder. 
So uh, this came out December 14th. It is animated fair and comic book. So this was my my favorite animated feature and my favorite comic book movie of the year. So I figured it should be on my top 10 Shots list. Shots fired to Black Panther. Shots fired. I mean, yeah. I, I liked <laughs> Avengers Infinity War actually more than Black Panther uh, yeah. as well. But um, yeah, and Incredibles 2 was also kind of a comic book animated feature. But uh, I, yeah. I thought this... If I had a vote in the Oscars, I would I would vote for this for best animated feature. Um, I just thought mm-hmm. it was something like I've never seen before. Um, just the mm-hmm. in terms of the animation, it was really innovative and creative and felt new. Um, it had this this sort of look of a comic book in a lot of ways, and yeah. they the way that they like filled the frame with multiple images at times and. Mm-hmm. Just like the amount of creativity that was put into it, and like uh, your brother said as we walked out of the theater, like I can't imagine how they storyboarded that film because there's like right. just so much going on at all times. And honestly, I feel like I need to watch it again just to kind of take it all in and understand yeah. what I saw. But I mean, uh, the cast. I'm so, and also like I was very hesitant to even care about this movie or see yeah, it. Yeah, I had and to then, drag you almost. Yeah, to I mean, like, is there anything yeah. else? <laughs> I wanted to see Vice, and then you were like, "Let's go see this," and it has amazing critical, you know, reaction, and so many people were seeing Audiences it. So, loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, "Why not?" You know, but it's like the seventh uh you know spider-man films since toby Maguire and uh kirsten dunst right. in 2002 it's like I, I i don't know i just do i really care about this character but then this interpretation is this miles morales character who who is in the comic books you know a certain a certain thread of the uh, spider-man universe and he's you know an alternate to peter parker um, you know, just a, a different person that was bitten by a radioactive spider, you know? So, um, and then this film incorporates, you know, all of these different iterations, basically every iteration of Spider-Man in the Spider-Man universe that's been in the comic books. So there's like Spider-Ham. I think some of them are like made up, you know? Uh, I don't even yeah, know. Or there I, I don't know the world well enough, but somewhere, yeah. yeah. You're not really yeah. into like the spider ham uh, canon or mythology, <laughs> right? Right. I, I, uh, yeah, I am exactly. But no. uh, <laughs> I mean, know, this it was... is my number. This is my number seven. I, I oh, nice. Point out as well. So, well, yeah. I wanted to say I mean, quickly. I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. a couple things. Like it was really frenetic and at times almost like visually overwhelming. And yeah. you know, for modern audiences, especially like with kids, they can kind of handle that. But it did. For my, you know, 30-year-old eyes, it was a little, like, uh, jarring and uh, exhausting by the end of it. I was, like, ready for it to end, but that's that's not to say I didn't really enjoy it and, and love the film, but, yeah, it was, it was a little overwhelming. And the cast of this film, I mean, I'm sure you're going to get to it, but, mm. you know, Haley Steinfeld, Mar- Mahershala Ali, Brian Tyree Henry, Lily Tomlin, Zoe Kravitz, John Mulaney, Nicolas Cage... Leave Schreiber, oh, Chris God. Pine, like it yes. just the the number of names is just outrageous. Uh, Catherine Hahn, so like uh, oh. just yeah, the cast is great. Uh, do you have, do you want to talk about it now or when we get down to? <sighs> yeah, seven? I mean, I'll just say yeah, a few things that I just think yeah, the execution of this material couldn't have been better on mm-hmm. paper. You probably think like this will be a disaster, um, but yeah, I mean they just totally kind of tell the story in a completely new way. They're almost it felt like Sony was like forced to reinvent 
an entirely new way to tell uh, Spider-Man. Like I love yeah. the way they handled the origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, really Just enjoyed quickly how, hit like, on it. Yeah. Hip hop. And it's very like self-aware and how, how it does mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I loved how like hip hop and street this was like, there's a freaking yeah. notorious B.I.G. song in this. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, Miles, the main kid character is wearing like Jordan sneakers, which they, mm-hmm. you know, of course sold online as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, yeah, really loved, I mean, the visually like you had on it, just bursting with style and, mm-hmm. you know, showing different parts of, uh, New York and Brooklyn and the, the subways, the skyline, various underbellies with like graffiti and yeah. those comic book touches of using like speech balloons and, and things of that nature. Um, it's just like, yeah, how the hell did they make this visually? Like you walk away being like, how do you even begin to, like just so much uh <laughs> Going color on. and visual yeah. packed yeah, into yeah. every freaking frame of this movie totally um great yeah villain. and all yeah right right and all i can touch on a bit more when we get when we get to seven but yeah. yeah this is one yeah and we you know we experience this together and leather recliners at uh <laughs> yeah. Mall theater in northern virginia we, we reclined together so we yeah were, great uh, bonded through that for sure yeah we were lying next to each other in our in our poofy leather chairs but yeah great mm-hmm. vocal performance by uh um jake johnson from new girl fame uh he played peter b parker the uh mm-hmm. the sort of middle-aged chunky version of peter parker uh, i just thought it was like a creative iteration of that character and and the comedy between john mulaney as spider ham and nicholas cage as spider-man noir was just uh really really great and i can't wait to watch it again so my number nine is First Man. Ooh. What you didn't say when you get onto the moon. A lot of things have to go right before that happens. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. This isn't just another trip, Neil. You're not just going to work. Directed by <laughs> Damien Giselle. I, love, I haven't I love seen the, it. The, oh, oh, okay. No, that's one of my biggest uh, omissions of the year. I I just did not get to that one. You have First Man. Right, hey, you can't can't watch it all. Yeah. Uh, You definitely screwed up by not seeing it. No. Uh, (laughs) So, directed by Damien Giselle. Look, this guy, he's (laughs) 31-year-old legend or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, he's proven it with Whiplash, with La La Land, and now with First Man. I mean, this dude is just straight up like a master of film aesthetic. So whether it's editing, sound design, cinematography, I think this guy does aesthetic better than any young filmmaker in like the world or like Mm. no one does it better than him. I don't know. That's a big world country. Um, I'm going to leave it there. So in this movie, it's, it's a technical marvel and how it's executed. I loved how just like rickety everything was. Of course, this first mm-hmm. man, if you're not familiar, tells the story of Neil Armstrong and the, the journey to you know to the moon for the first time um, and really focuses on, on the mission and kind of like how that affected his home life. Um, but yeah, just like, you know, this was such a impossible uh, accomplishment that we, you know, or, you know, journey that we embarked on. We landed on the moon. <laughs> And it's just, yeah, I mean, like, the overall authenticity, there's, like, this sense of claustrophobia when they're in um, in their cockpits. Um, there's, you know, an interview with Chazelle where he talked about, like, just how hard it is to record dialogue in, like, a space helmet. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. just these things that you kind of overlook. And I credit to him for, like, not taking really any shortcuts, it seemed like. They mm-hmm. made everything very uh, grounded and physical. Um, the launch sequence towards the end of the movie – 
yeah, they're just there's like this amazing shot as they're taking the elevator up to the top of the rocket and you get this mm-hmm. like the sense of scale reading uh-huh. like every letter of United States of America and like it's just I don't know, it's a shot that that stuck with me. Nice. Um there're these amazing like full wide shots where you can see the entire rocket like top to bottom as it's like you know, exiting our atmosphere. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of handheld camera sequences as well, uh, nice. like these interiors of the cockpit. It all gave like a sense of realism that I think really enriched the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they shot the moon as though it was approaching like like some kind of monster or like a Death Star as it like kind of mm. whirls closer and closer. If you've seen mm. it, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about because it just... It, yeah, it reminded me like they were, and I think he said they shot it that way. Like, how do we, how do we shoot like them approaching the moon? Like it is, um, yeah. they're approaching like a you know Frankenstein or something. That's like That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, these how landscape was that shots score by Justin Horowitz. Yeah, which yeah he won uh, the Golden Globe for. Um, yeah. yeah, I will say cop cop that vinyl. The score is definitely <laughs> the original score is. is I think really I should watch solid. the movie first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, um, these landscape shots of the moon's surface, like almost were like Lawrence of Arabia like in just like these vistas of the entire you know yeah it looked like a scene in like the desert from a Lawrence of Arabia love, but it's the moon love some David Lean sure and uh Ryan <laughs> sure. Gosling plays no I mean uh, sure <laughs> yeah this is funny <laughs> Yeah, um, Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong. Claire Foy plays his wife. They are very solid, as well as the additional cast includes Kyle Chandler, Corey Stoll. Mm. Uh, but for me, yeah, the highlight was the aesthetic execution. I think this also had one of the best uh, trailers of 2018. The first yeah. one I think was really easily good. a top five trailer for me this year. And I, you know, I do want to point out that this was like a box office bomb. It was released in October. Mm-hmm. Between, like, right between, like, A Star is Born and then, like, you know, the Halloween reboot or relaunch, whatever you want to call it. And I think it could have done much better business if it was released on, say, like, Christmas Day. Well, um, and it had that it, it kind of really, got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, it had that really puzzling blowback about not oh, showing yeah, the, the American flag, like, planted right, on the moon yeah, surface. And then, sure. you know, you hear, I heard some interviews with Chazelle, like, saying the American flags in the movie, like eight times yeah it and is it's like and it's cel- America's it's all over yeah it's like why Completely. do you have to show that shot specifically i don't know i i just didn't really understand that that pushback against you know, it it's, it's, it's obviously like a patriotic culture. film you know sure sure i mean they did give uh, lance armstrong a russian accent but other than that it was all good oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been yeah. uh worthy of outrage uh right. i will say um just like one or two more things about first man so the criticism i have heard uh, you know, kind of how emotionally detached Lance Armstrong seems in this film. And mm-hmm. it kind of like left, I think, some audiences cold. But my take mm-hmm. is, you know, that's how he really was as a person. And, sure, you know, if, if, you know, that's the kind of the way it needs to be. It would have been disingenuous to have him, you know, perform that role in another right. way. Um, also, before I saw this movie, I had two like thick Negronis. <laughs> one of my favorite cocktails right before it and I I was watching with How a thick. mix of movie theater buttered popcorn mixed with like M&M's like shoving in my face and it was uh, quite delightful so maybe I have like oh, a slight that's rich. a slight viewing uh, bias with First okay. Man but yeah. I mean, that's what happened hey, and it, it landed in my top 10 so that's what happened yeah. you just it all factors into how you feel about a film it's it, how yeah. you saw I it mean, who you saw it with where you saw it yeah it's yeah, all part the, of it you know this, the, the beverages consumed yeah, beforehand the thick Negronis um, yeah right I yeah, get yeah. it so 
Yeah, if you have two thick Negronis and you know you go see, <laughs> uh, you know, Jurassic Park three, be like, yeah, that's really great. Yeah, okay. I might do that tonight. Uh, um, so anyway, that is my number nine. First man, Rob. What is what is your nine? All right, number nine. I have my my um, choice of my favorite documentary of the year. And that mm. is Won't You Be My Neighbor mm. by uh, the prolific documentarian Morgan Neville. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor is the documentary about Fred Rogers, aka Mr. Rogers, and the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood PBS TV show uh, that started in 1968. Um, basically, this documentary came out in the summer. Um, it's an hour thirty four minutes. It did really well in the box office. It made like twenty over twenty two million just in the u s and obviously didn't cost that much to make. Um, you know, featured some great interviews with the original cast and crew of Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Um, a lot of family, you know, his wife and kids. Fred Rogers, uh, of course, has passed on. but um, mm-hmm. just a, a great story about something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, I grew you up were a watching big Rogers head growing up. I was. Yeah. I mean, I grew up watching PBS. My mom is a preschool teacher, so she's like very much about educational television, um, something sort of a lost art form in this era, you know, mm. but yeah, I did grew up watching this show. You? Did things get dusty for you? Oh, things were, things were, uh, things were <laughs> dusty. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard I was, it's very, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it tugs at the, <laughs> there's some the, funny memes the out ducks. there. Like when you first see the, the train entering the frame of in, you know, his house or whatever, and people are already like reaching for tissues or whatever, uh, you know, great origin story of Daniel Tiger, who mm. was, uh, who is now like a sensation, uh, modern sensation for kids. He has his own uh, program. I'm not sure what channel it's on, maybe PBS, but, uh, yeah, Daniel Tiger was like one of uh, Mr. Rogers' uh, favorite or most uh, known characters that he performed, the little sock puppet thing. And yeah, yeah I mean, just a really well-made documentary. There were some great, a great year for docs, as I said early on. Um, you know, Free Solo was amazing. Uh, Three Identical Strangers is a really cool movie worth checking out. Um, film worker on Netflix, Minding the Gap, a really great film. Uh, so, and among others, but this was my choice as my favorite doc of the year, and that is my number nine. Nice. Yeah, I have not seen. Won't you be my neighbor? I know they're making a uh, a Tom Hanks bio or where Tom Hanks plays Mr. Roger that I think is coming out. Oh yeah, this, this winter they're riding the yeah. uh, the Rogers wave. But yeah, I've heard it's <laughs> right, great, right. and and just like I mean, Mr. Rogers, like the dude, like defines like just wholesome goodness more than like yeah and so i think it's just like it's good to like profile that kind of person in in 2018 2019 yeah it, it just i imagine it makes you know audiences feel good like restores like humanity a bit <laughs> right well it was very poignant and like his message was all about like teaching kids you know showing them warmth and compassion and being empathetic and you know just you know preaching like kindness and 
good natured, uh, you know, wholesome, wholesome love and stuff and like family. And he really was trying to connect with kids on a level that made them feel more comfortable about the scary world around them, you know, and that's, that's a message that, you know, applies to any time in human history. And especially today with like all the sort of anxieties of the modern world, it's something that, you know, it could stand, we could stand to have another Mr. Rogers in our life, I would say. Well said. So my number eight and I believe this is one that I, I'm going to make an educated guess that is on your list is Jonah Hill's mid nineties. Nice. It is on my list. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. my number it's my number five. A lot of the time we feel like our lives are the worst. But think if you looked at anybody else's closet, you wouldn't trade your shit for their shit. So let's go. While we ride a piece of wood, like what that does to somebody's spirit. Stevie, what the fuck are you doing? So, yeah, written, directed by Jonah Hill, who is someone I really admire in how he was able to take control of his career creatively. Like, you know, he came onto the scene with big smash comedies like Super Bad and Knocked Up and really didn't want to get pigeonholed and just be that kind of person that's typecast in those roles throughout his career. So he really, I think, forcefully, uh, you know, made his mark into, uh, you know, prestige dramas like Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street and working with a lot of great directors. And this is his first film that he made. Uh, It's a slice of life story. Um, One that Jonah Hill has said is kind of like semi-autobiographical, very personal for him to make. It obviously takes place in the mid-90s. It's set in Southern California. And it's about this, I think, yeah, 13-year-old kid named Stevie. Comes from a bit of a broken family. And he's just trying to find his, you know, posse or clique or just place Mm -hmm. to fit in. um, And kind of falls into this this group of skateboarders that I think, you know, are about like a few years older than him. And there's a large emphasis on skateboard culture. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to skate growing up. It was like literally my favorite thing to do for like two years of my life when I was like, yeah, in like, I want to say like middle school, like around when the age of Stevie. So at that level, I, I, it also resonated with me. Um, the cast, uh, Sonny, uh, Soljic plays Stevie. Uh-huh. Uh, there's also Catherine Watterson who plays his mom, Lucas Hedges, who's was in like nine movies this year. Uh, <laughs> I know he plays a great, he plays Stevie's older brother. Great, like Dick older brother too. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, some <laughs> other kids that are, I think some of them are, were pro skaters. Um, yeah. there's, uh, Nikel Smith, Olin Pranat, Gio, uh, Galicia, Ryder, McLaughlin. I'm botching these kids' names. I'm <laughs> sorry. Right. They were all really, yeah. really good. But yeah. this script I thought was super funny, true to life, and the dialogue of how kids talked back then. Uh, it takes some risks in terms of, you know, the kind of language that's used on screen. It definitely wouldn't mm-hmm. fly today. But I think, you know, Hilly really wanted to show how kids talk back then and it wouldn't be right. right. Uh, you know, he's not saying it's right. He's just like reflecting the reality. No, it, it just... It's how people talked back then. So it's, yeah. it's real and raw. Yeah. I didn't have any and, problem with that. Yeah, yeah. It it had like, a, I, I just really enjoyed the dynamics between the kid characters and that, that skateboarding group. It was heartfelt. Mm-hmm. They were able to give like a nice piece of depth to every character despite its short runtime. And th- this movie is freaking 80, 80 minutes long. Love it. 80 minutes. Love it. 
And I think it's the rare case that could have benefited from maybe, you know, adding, tacking on like maybe 15 minutes more, but maybe I, I, I did, I did like the, the short runtime. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Like, is there a few things you want to, you want to say about, uh, mid nineties or you want Yeah. So this is my number. No, I'll talk about it now. Um, it's my number five and, um, you know, it came out, it's a four by three format film just for people mm. out there. Don't be shocked. Like nothing's wrong with your TV. It's, it's shot that way in that, uh, you know, old TV format. And, um, I saw it early in a screening at UCLA on campus. Um, and it really impacted me quite a bit. Like you said, it, I was a skater growing up uh, slash rollerblader and I was part of that culture, you know, and, yeah. Uh, you know, the hip hop culture, the older brother is very, you know, felt very personal to my life. And mm. I just identified with so many elements of this character, you know, him going into his brother's room and looking at his brother's posters and his magazines and yeah, his CD CDs. collection. Yeah, like that. Those were all like images from my memory. And it just really like hit hard in my in my heart and I really felt it and like the brothers fighting and then, you know, playing video games together and like talking trash to each other. It just, it felt very authentic and also very authentic to skate culture, as you said. And um, I know Jonah Hill has said that he wanted this movie to be well received and respected by skate culture. And I, I believe it has been. So in that regard, it's like a huge success. It, it didn't get a lot of run and like, in a theatrical release and kind of no. kind of bombed but uh i think people that grew up in our era like of our age should watch this film and will really enjoy it and i i loved the character who like filmed everything and didn't really say anything the whole the whole movie but then like comes together at the end with this great this great moment and also featured one of the most realistic and entertaining uh first sexual encounters for a young boy and just <laughs> like a, made uh, yeah, yeah made for great for sure. comedy um so yeah that yeah. is that is mid 90s my number five your number eight correct yeah i was gonna say um and i think yeah hill there's some really strong this is his first time directing but you could tell like i think he learned all he was like a sponge when he was working with scorsese and the coen brothers mm-hmm. and tarantino bennett miller mm-hmm. learning as much as he could from those experiences and kind of applying that to, uh, you know, his own film. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack. Uh, so yeah, Hill said that he's a huge music fan and said every scene was written to a specific song. Uh-huh. The soundtrack features, you know, it's just like a murderer's row of classic nineties hip hop. Oh, yeah. Wu-Tang, Mob Deep, Nas, Tribe called Quest. It was packaged as a, um, the soundtrack was uh, positioned basically and packaged as a Spotify playlist exclusively. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. The first time that's I that, think ever <laughs> been done in a very practical way to do a soundtrack, given that playlists are the dominant way, uh-huh. dominant way that people discover music today. So that playlist yeah, has really, been downloaded. It's been downloaded on my phone since the movie came out and I, I still have it on my phone. I still have been listening to it. It's a great soundtrack collection. Absolutely. So what, you're we're on to your number eight now, right? Yeah, my number eight is hereditary. Mm. Sorry, baby grandma. You know you were her favorite. Who's gonna take care of me when you die? She isn't gone. So this came out June 8th, um, streaming on Amazon Prime now for people out there if you want to watch it again. Um, written and directed by Ari Aster. It is my favorite horror movie of the year. 
incredibly scary, uh, chilling experience. Um, the five minutes following the notable light pole scene were the most jaw-dropping minutes in film for me this year. Like, I was just mm. extremely disturbed by... <laughs> the acting and the way that it, that was shot and like the yes. sound design and, and just like some of the, some of the images from this film have haunted me all year. And, you know, I, I haven't watched it again, but um, I probably will never watch this again, <laughs> yeah. but I yeah. loved it. Yeah. It's so a good weird sentence to say. I know. No, um, it makes this sense. is my number five. This is my number five. Oh, cool. We're, <laughs> we've got some overlap. Nice. Yeah, um, but, yeah uh, th- this movie was like a huge sensation. It, it seems like everyone I know th- who can stand to watch horror films saw this movie and and had like a pretty hot take on it. Um, I felt like it was talked about for a long time. Uh, I did have someone in the theater who would not shut up during this movie, and that kind of like mm, tainted yeah, it a I... little bit for me. But I mean, whatever, you know. You can't I don't... judge the movie itself. Yeah, no, I don't yeah, remember that I... necessarily. Like looking back on the movie, but I just wanted to mention like it is a it is a factor when you see movies and um, amazing amazing performance by Tony Collette and oh, yeah. who plays the mom uh, slash there's an amazing like look horrified face yeah but yeah. she does an amazing like a ag- mouth agape like she's so squinty, good at that you know yeah yeah and Millie Shapiro and Alex Wolf play the two children or kids of Tony Collette and Gab- Gabriel Byrne uh really left me shook walking out of the theater and I mean this movie like I couldn't wait for it to end but it made me feel unlike any other that I've yeah. seen this year. I mean, it's all its terror was earned through like story and direction. It uh-huh. pulls like emotion, like straight out of like your guts. Like it just, <sighs> you cannot like turn away and it's, but it's not like overly manipulative. Like it's mm-hmm. a really well-rounded told story. And um, yeah, Millie Shapiro, I want to say she was like born haunted. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, that face is just, I mean, I, I just gotta say it like, <laughs> Born, ha- born haunted, um, <laughs> born haunted, and it's horror fil- filmmaking at a high level. Uh, directed by Ari Aster, um, just yeah, the right writing, performances, direction, score, all around, just really well made. Um, I you know I don't really want to get in. Yeah, we don't really need to get into the details of the plot and story because it'll like freak me out too much, uh, and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't want to speak of it in my apartment. Uh, so yeah. I won't. I don't want to bring that into my home. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was afraid, like, uh, yeah. So I, I'll just say, like, I, I was home alone the week I saw it because Becky was oh, in that's New right. Jersey at the yeah. time. And let's just Oof. say that not all the lights were off in my apartment. I was yeah, going to say. Yeah. And, and one last thing I'll say about Hereditary um, I read this from the AV Club. It was in their their like you know twenty five best films of the year, and they said it, it the ending and I'll quote like a kind of happy ending for anyone who has ever sought meaning in senseless tragedy or shifted mm. responsibility for their misfortunes onto a greater power than themselves, mm. which I think is just a very unique perspective, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. I mean, there was someone when I saw it in theaters that walked out being like. It was actually uplifted, and I remember at the time I was like, "You're a psychopath." No, but actually, like, if you have, without giving away exactly what happens at the end, um, yeah, that it is true, and it does 
provide um, like purpose of like why this family has gone through this like horrible stretch yeah. in a way. I kind of felt the Which same way. way. Yeah. Look, now that I, now that you say that, I I am remembering how I felt walking that. Like I was obviously shook by the experience, but also felt a, a weird sense of like hope like you said and mm. and just getting back to the sort of uh cinematic craftsmanship of the film i loved the the cinematography element of the like little miniature homes and and like houses yeah. that tony collette is putting together and the way that they Very creepy yeah the way they like zoomed out from that as the first shot and it felt like mm. and and other times in the film you felt like is this a miniature or am i watching like humans or right it was just like a really well done uh sort of uh style and and interesting way of shooting so mm-hmm. wanted to mention that too nice so we're on to number seven my seven which we we'd already talked about spider-man into the spider-verse i guess yeah the last it's like a two or three points yeah um that i don't think we address I, yeah i just thought the story was also like super well paced it had a lot of heart. I liked the character development of Miles throughout the film, mm-hmm. the relationship he has with his dad and uncle, the chemistry he has with the other Spider-Man characters. And also, like, I was struck by, you know, just kind of the premise of him, like, teaming up with all these other, like, Spider-Men from different universes. And it almost made me think, like, you know, collaboration is such a huge part of, like, creativity. And I, just thinking of, like... Uh, you know, in music, for example, if you go to like any new music Friday on Spotify, you'll see a lot of the top tracks are, it's like heavy on collaboration and from like other genres. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, more and more you're seeing that in, in, in music and into, uh, into the spider verse does have like this very, as I was saying, yeah, like hip hop vibe. And I don't know, I just kind of like, I thought there were like some parallels there with like, you know collaboration from people with different backgrounds universes like it, it really is wins right now yeah. um and i was kind of reminded by the collaborative aspect of a lot of uh you know hits on on, on spotify and you know into like on radio to a lesser extent but yeah into the spider-verse was um yeah just the execution material could have been better visually incredible um and just like a really cool reinvention of of this story and character that we're so familiar with at this point so yeah that is my number seven nice rob what is your what is your seven so my number seven quickly since you've already talked about it in your honorable mentions is a quiet place mm. Yeah, this came out April 16th, and it's also really short, an hour and a half, one of these, like, beautiful, you know, little small meals of a movie, like, it's just, uh, you know, the classic... It, it packs a... Yeah, there's a, a lot going on. No, I shouldn't say it's small, it's just, I love the I love the 90-minute runtime, it's just great. Um, it's available now on Redbox, or to rent in iTunes, um, Directed by John Krasinski, as you said, Emily Blunt's performance was amazing. Must have been weird to like direct your wife, but they did a a great job of that. the The bathtub scene, most notably, was just apparently done in one take, which is incredible. If you watch it again, jeez, that's um, crazy. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, the the daughter, the uh, deaf daughter, played by Millicent Simmons, 
uh, she, I thought she was really great in the film. Um, I did see an interesting take of like everything that went wrong in the, in the story was caused by like her teenage angst <laughs> and like everything could have been resolved yeah. if she just like behaved slightly differently. But like, I, I don't know. I didn't notice that watching it for the first time, but funny take. Uh, this was a huge box office and critical success. Uh, one of those movies that everyone was talking about for a while during the summer. Um, like you said, I've I've heard that um, Krasinski has confirmed on the Big Picture podcast that uh, he is working on the sequel. Mm-hmm. It will not be called A Quieter Place. Um, <laughs> and apparently it's going to be a completely different part of the world experiencing this this creature invasion so it will not be the same yeah. family or characters um I like that. so that's cool it's you know completely separated from this first film i'm interested in that and yeah uh amazing sound design in this movie um obviously like the whole the whole bit is that it's a quiet place and you know the the use of the score combined with like the little sound that was going on in in the world was really interesting and like the sounds of the creature um, and you know, the daughter's, uh, earpiece was really cool. And yeah, just a great creature feature, like the, the work done by, uh, ILM, which is industrial light and magic. The, uh, it's the motion picture visual effects company founded by George Lucas. They did all the creature work in this film. They've, they've been a part of so many classics, uh, you know, in the Steven Spielberg, George Lucas world, uh, pretty much all of their films they've worked on. So yeah, uh, really cool film. Definitely worth rewatching. I would say fun for the whole family potentially, and I mean, if, you're, if you're you know if you don't have kids if, uh, under yeah. the age of yeah yeah I, I mean it's oh. not gory though if I recall right. it's it's, it's a PG thirteen like, yeah jump scares yeah yeah and but. and sort of hit on some of those like Jurassic Park vibes at the end with like the mm. creature and yes. the car yes. and the chase and yeah so yeah great movie a lot of fun. <laughs> widely talked about so that's that's my number seven a quiet place so my number six is mission impossible fallout yes that's my number four oh, God. your mission should you choose to accept it what the hell is he doing you find it best not to look oh. all right you know that i'm glad we didn't exchange lists because yeah it, we would have been like, well, we can't have it overlap. We would <laughs> have to like knock things off that we weren't feeling passionate about, but whatever. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, sixth installment of the MI franchise. Pound for pound, this was the most purely entertaining movie I saw this year. It's James Bond on steroids. It just delivers. Seeing this in theaters was like a shot of freaking adrenaline. I yeah. mean, it just This thing knocked me off my ass, uh, to put it bluntly. <laughs> the plot... The plot is incoherent, but when the action <laughs> is this good, it just doesn't matter, Rob. Yeah. It just does not matter. It's the epitome spectacle of what a, a summer blockbuster should be. It's fun, loud, intense, entertaining, and, and Tom dumb. Cruise. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely definitely dumb, but it just I love how it goes above and beyond previous Mission Impossible films, which you don't it's like hard to even fathom that that's possible, but it goes so big and for me this movie is like defined. I I, I got I got the Blu-ray recently, so I did a oh, rewatch nice. um, about a week ago, and cool. It's really defined by like four distinct action sequences. So mm-hmm. like 
there's the sky skydiving through lightning storm, um, <laughs> yeah. which by the way, when like the, the sound cuts out, that was like the moment that I knew this was going to be something special for sure. For sure. Um, and a shout the, out, the, shout out to that cameraman, the camera operator who <laughs> did those dives with Tom Cruise, apparently like a yeah. hundred times, or they, at least they practiced, you know, so many times and then they actually shot it like four times or so I've heard, but the, mm. the way that he had to pull focus on the camera So he was operating and looking through the lens, but then focusing at the same time. And like, just, just based on like the distance cruises away from the camera lens, which is how everything is shot, but doing that skydiving backwards, you know, at (laughs) like, you're not like interior bathroom shot. Yeah. Just uh, shout out to that camera operator. Good, good work. For sure. Um, there's also, yeah, that fist fight in like the all white bathroom that follows the skydiving sequence. Yes. Just the, the fight choreography, the staging, you can feel like the punches and the pain so much. Just like a great hand to hand combat scene. When Henry Cavill uh, flexes his shoulders and like adjusts oh, his shirt and gets ready, that right, is. Uh, I, I get aroused. That's a yeah. woo moment. Yeah. <laughs> woo. So, and then there's also the, the motorcycle chase throughout Paris. I love how Cruz, like, he eventually just goes flying off his bike and then just like barrel rolls and like walks it off. And it's <laughs> that's like, fine. That's yeah. when you're right. I mean, this movie, you got to suspend your, your disbelief, of course. And then the helicopter climax, which at one point when I was watching this in theaters, I just began like deliriously like laughing like a maniac at what I <laughs> yeah. was seeing. But like, cause it was just like, it was almost like endless in a, in a good way. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it was the climax and considering what, um, the previous events of this uh, in this film, like they had to go gigantic for yeah, for the you got to go big, yeah. So yeah, just all four of those action sequences are, are as good as like any action sequence this like decade, and it was all in one movie. Yeah, the motor, that motorcycle vision. chase, that motorcycle chase yeah. around the Arc de Triomphe was just I- incredible. Oh yeah, going like, like I, against traffic. Yeah, like, I don't I, know. Yeah, I just how, how they did that. They just shut down all of Paris. Paris, know, yeah, right. right. Paris. Like that's a, that's a um, major thoroughfare there. That's literally like the center of town. So uh, yeah, I mean, big city. I know. they had a big budget to work with, but <laughs> yeah. still, like it, it's impressive. Um, and yeah, just great chemistry in the cast too. Of course, with Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill, but also like there's Ving Rang, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, who's an awesome like action actress actor. Mm-hmm. Like I just think she could do like her own. I could see her like having a career in. A- I, I just think she plays like an action heroine like super mm-hmm. effectively and i'd love to see her do more action roles uh, alex baldwin is in on the fun too um and this is just an example of a movie that knows exactly what it wants it to be and just like mm-hmm. completely succeeding so mission impossible fallout is my you said this is your number four yeah it's my number four i don't have much else to yeah. add to that i mean you kind of said everything i wanted to say like two hours and 27 <laughs> minutes no no it's fine uh two yeah, hours yeah. 27 minutes but it felt like kind of a breeze like it, it never it oh, never yeah. felt like it was dragging like a flash of light yeah <laughs> there's just like so much going on uh, paris is beautiful great setting for a film like this yeah, um, this movie had elements of like a heist film and uh espionage and like thriller obviously action like it just it just combined a lot of really interesting like storytelling elements and yeah, I don't have much to add. Just a really fun, like everything I want in an action movie. Uh, yeah, just a really, really fun movie. So, what is your what's your number six? 
All right, my number six is If Beale Street Could Talk. Mm. Got a little baby in my house. I'm with you. You trusted love this far. So that is still in theaters. This is Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, which was mm-hmm. was going to be tough no matter what. You know, like Moonlight mm-hmm. is a Best Picture winner, one of the most universally beloved by critics films of all time. And I'm not I'm not just saying that. Like it's it's pretty much a uh, yeah, across the board a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and this movie, if Beale Street could talk, is the adaptation of the uh, James Baldwin novel. Uh, came out in the seventies. Um, it's a love story, and it's a tragedy, you know, in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. um, you know, but it also is kind of filled with hope and and light, and you know, family, and just the power of love. And I think it's being a little bit overlooked because it is, you know, sort of a follow-up to Moonlight. I don't know if that has everything to do with it or just maybe people aren't. It's not like a flashy movie. It's just like an, this is my number four, by the way. Oh, nice. Okay. So um, it's in your top five. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it really makes you feel like deeply for the the main characters. um, Yeah. Played by uh, Kiki Lane and uh, Stefan James, who mm-hmm. also was in Homecoming, which we talked about on our best TV pod. Yeah, um, they were both amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's 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 a very romantic movie, but it never feels like schmaltzy, mm-hmm. um, which I I really appreciated. Like there are times in this movie where like the romance just like drips off the screen. Yeah, that score from Nicholas Bertel, which I know you had as one of your honorable one of the songs from it. Uh, yeah, no, it's my favorite song. But yeah, my favorite yeah. score of the year. And yeah, I, I loved how much the score is used throughout the film. The, mm-hmm. the use of strings. I think I think it's the best original score of the year. Um, you know, and I just like how much restraint if Beale Street could talk showed at times. It doesn't yeah. shock you, and it mm-hmm. a lot of these movies can fall into those traps, but it, this one doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brian Tyree Henry cameo, right? You, I, I had heard about this. It was like one of the top reasons why I wanted to to see this. Of course, yeah. you know Brian Tyree from Atlanta, and he mm-hmm. was in Widows, and you know he's he had a huge year. Um, he's just such a gifted actor. I mean, just the way he conveys emotion, yeah. the scene that he's in, like in the way he's like snapping, uh, back and forth between conversation, uh-huh. um, with Alon, uh, with Alonzo, um, mm-hmm. and then to, yeah, the, uh, yeah, uh, her, her, just his mouth, tone of voice. Mm-hmm. You just feel like, you know, his entire story, just a few minutes he's on screen. It's just, a, I know it's a jaw dropping 10 minutes. Yeah. He definitely came in and sort of like stole the show for a few minutes. And it almost felt like the other actors, you know, uh, Stefan James and Kiki Lane were, were just like in awe of him in the moment. And I, I could <laughs> be wrong about this, but I think I heard Barry Jenkins say he only had him for a, a day on set mm. so they like shot that whole sequence in a Damn. day which is really fascinating wow. just if you like look back at it i could be wrong about that don't quote me on it but um i could i could believe it He's yeah good. i mean you know well and and just the i also wanted to shout out um coleman domingo as tish's father i thought he was a great yeah. uh supporting character and that scene with the entire family and and tish's yeah, family I mean, and stefan's family together uh maybe like maybe one of the best scenes of the year, just like really compelling mm. and funny, dramatic, uh, just really amusing uh, in a lot of ways, but also kind of sad. 
Um, yeah. And then the signature Barry Jenkins combined with his DP, James Laxton. Apparently they went to film school together and they've been collaborating together since then. Um, showing it's that style of that they've sort of developed um, with these extreme close close-ups of actors looking directly into yeah. the camera lens, um, which they're really like, it sounds simple and basic, but it's so mm-hmm. hard to like make that work in a film and, and to like yeah. put it into a story and not make it feel manipulative and like sh- figure out where to put it, you know? And like, and yeah. just to direct, what I like about those sh- to direct the actor to like give the the proper expression and like it's all about the eyes, you know. It's like it just throws you into the. It just makes you like it hits you in the face with empathy, and you just like you're in the mind of that character for a moment, and it's it's really interesting. It's like a it's kind of uh, their signature. Yeah, I love about the those the, the close up headshots you're describing, like the characters they. They're almost like just naked. I mean, you're just seeing their face. I mean, they're obviously not naked, but their emotion yeah. is like they can't hide from their emotions. Right. Uh, and it just makes for very just like effectual, just like cinema. Um, also, you know, the cinematography, I'm sure you love that shot when they're walking in the rain with the umbrella and like oh, yeah. the lighting in that scene. Like, I don't know how the hell they did this. You'd know this better than I like where like underneath the umbrella is like this glow. And then mm. there's like these greens in the distance. It's just like a, mm. a painterly yeah. shot, you know? No, James Laxon's uh, one of a great young DP really like his work. Yeah, for sure. And I, I love the, uh, the way that he moves the camera around in this film with like, he does a lot of uh, like circling of characters right. and, it felt a little maybe heavy-handed at times, but I think overall it worked. And mm-hmm. like that that scene with Brian Tyree Henry, they they did like laps around that kitchen table with the camera, if you notice. Right. And like that one scene where uh, Fani Stefan James is uh, carving, you know, like thinking, daydreaming in in prison about uh, carving a block of wood and they do like this smoky lap mm-hmm. around this block of wood and he's yeah. like smoking a cigarette. It's just like really visually appealing and, and pretty. Sure. Yeah. Easy on the eyes. I also, you know, this movie has a lot of, you know, social and criminal injustice commentary and I thought right. it was handled very effectively. Like it doesn't offer like answers or like a ton of like resolution, but mm-hmm. I just thought, overall it was it was handled really well and yeah this is definitely one of the best made movies of the year and just a a great story told by who's you know barry jenkins um is one of the best directors working today so yes and we should surprising that this landed on both of our top tens not at all and we should mention regina king uh she won the golden globe for supporting actress in uh in this film and she'll likely be nominated and possibly win the Oscar for her her role as uh, uh, Tish's mother. So yeah, um, great great film. That's your there. number six. My number six. My my five was Hereditary, which I think we addressed. I don't even want to go back to it because I'm gonna. Get no, scared, I think so I, I think we covered like, just, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then so, my number I'm gonna, like, my delete, number five. I'm deleting all my notes from Hereditary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On my computer. My number um, five so, was mid '90s, so yeah. we can we can go ahead and skip that. Oh, we're breezing, we're breezing through. I know, that. yeah, we're going. <laughs> and my number four is Beale Street. <laughs> okay, my number four was Which, Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay, we we're just ripping. And three, two, this one, we're done now. Uh, All right, perfect. So now we're in our top. <laughs> we're three. in the top three. This should be fun. I guess my 
yeah, my two, yeah, four Illustrated Talk. Your four was Mission Impossible Fallout, correct? Yes. Okay, my number three was Widows. Ooh. We have three days to look and move like a team. If this whole thing goes wrong, I want my kids to know that I didn't just sit there and take it. Let's go. So glad you have this. Yeah. Okay. This, you don't this have was, seniors? No, this was like my number 14. It was just okay. outside in my honorable right. mentions. Yeah, great movie. Yes. So directed by Steve McQueen, who won the Oscar for 12 Years a Slave. It's the kind of movie that it, it made me want to like go make a movie of your own. It kind of had mm. that. I feel like like Tarantino movies and like Coen Brother, like they have that that sense. But this is yeah. just like a super smart, like adult crime thriller. It reminded me of like a great 90s crime saga, like Heat, uh-huh. for example. Yeah. The screenplay was written by uh, Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl, The Girl on the Train. Uh, it's this like sprawling story and, and cast. Sharp it has objects. This very ep- epic feel. Yeah, yeah. She's like one of the best, you know, um, screenplay writers in mm-hmm. the industry. And I was really impressed by how big the story was. I was kind of going into it, expecting it to be a bit more focused around this heist go wrong, but it really tackles... A, a lot of themes, you know, whether it's vengeance or like the socioeconomics of, of Chicago and, and politics mm-hmm. and power and, and defiance. The cast is is crazy. I mean, it, it's clear people really want to work with Steve McQueen. Uh, this cast goes very wide. I mean, there's Viola Davis, there's Liam Neeson, Michelle Rodriguez, Colin Farrell, Robert Duvall, Brian Tyree Henry again, uh, Daniel Kalea. Uh, I always botch his last name. Uh, Kaluuya. Uh, Elizabeth yeah. uh, Debecki. Kaluuya, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like the cast of three movies combined into one. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, I mean, his his role, like he's uh, a pure antagonist in this. Uh, yeah. Evil, ruthless, zero remorse. You could tell he had a lot of fun playing the villain. Yeah, the he was amazing. The, uh, bowling alley. Was he was like, the standout so... to me. Yeah. And you've never seen him and, like this before. If you think he's sort of a one-dimensional actor and, you know, plays the good guy and he's well, he's after get incredible out, he's such a in hero film. in that. Right. Yeah, he he flips the switch. Um and yeah, the it's just a high level of craftsmanship by McQueen. Every mm. shot is very thoughtful and considered. It's probably probably like my favorite just direction of the year. It rewards, Mm. you know, the kind that rewards you paying close attention, Mm -hmm. even from like the opening seconds with the sequence of this robbery going wrong with Neeson's character, the cutting back and forth with his wife, Viola Davis in bed. Um, Mm -hmm. The high sequence at the end is like cinematic euphoria. You know, just, I love like, just like you have like the black ski mask, the modulated voices, this pulsating score. It just, it kind of reminded me of like almost, like it had like a Chris Nolan vibe a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I, it was just a badass sequence. Uh, this is such a Chicago movie. It kind of uses mm-hmm. that city as a character. I think it should be a required viewing for any Chicago residents. Um, I've only been to Chicago once, but uh, I just loved how much they leaned into the city as in making it a part of the part of the movie. Yeah. And I just you know it displays a lot of these like socioeconomic layers that, that Chicago has. Mm-hmm. There's this shot that a lot of people have talked about of Colin Farrell's character who's running oh, yeah. for, for local office. He gives this um, this campaign speech um, in a lower income area of Chicago. 
uh, it's, that's predominantly black. And then he gets in the back seat after the speech of like his SUV. And there's just like this one long tracking shot that travels from that low income area all the way to his home located in a more upper, upper scale part of town mm-hmm. while he gives this kind of like ranting monologue, m- ranting monologue about how he doesn't want to raise children in Chicago. Right. You know, and as the shot tracks, you clearly see how the surrounding areas change and how adjacent these types of neighborhoods are in Chicago. It's like, you know, a four or five minute sequence, but it doesn't cut once, and you can just see just the disparity between these two places, and it also, you know, relates to uh, the monologue that he's given, and just like a really great moment in, you know, 2018 cinema. So I I wanted to to point that out. Yeah. Um, Also just like, showcasing parts of the heist prep you don't typically see like testing like the weight of the bags after you stuff them with money and then like yeah. training for that that was a great sequence uh, yeah and and just i love how they recruit the driver for the heist and like her background of why she's like a really fast runner it's because she like has to be where she grew up and mm-hmm. um, i thought that was a really cool character yeah cynthia and, Arivo. she was she was mm-hmm. great and then elizabeth Debecky plays the yeah she, uh, she's awesome one of the one of the women in the group she was great too I, I think she was my favorite in the movie yeah and i just think this movie it's a result of just getting two experienced highly talented people in steve mcqueen and, and jillian flynn and um yeah just like them at their best a surprise this movie yeah kind of like first man kind of yeah didn't do well at the box office kind of got lost in the shuffle it came out in i want to say early november you know holidays approaching a lot of other things were coming out and you know you know sadly it wouldn't surprise me if it didn't really get many oscar nominations yeah um you know there's a lot of like politics and campaigning that goes into this and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of factors but it was definitely uh one of my favorite movies of the year felt very rewatchable i think i'll be getting the uh the blu-ray of this one yeah i think this movie will have a great uh life on you know streaming services or in a way you know yeah it's one of those movies that if it was on cable and you dropped in like 45 minutes in you would want to watch till the end you know it's just it mm. has like that quality to it uh you know great classic heist movie in a lot of ways but also felt new and original and different and you know, offered a different perspective to that type of uh, story. And yeah, it was, I was flirting with it for my list and I definitely really enjoyed it as well. And I thought about it a lot after watching it, you know, it, I, it stuck with me and I talked about it a lot with friends and Natalie and yeah, so definitely a really strong choice there. What is your number three? My number three is the favorite. Mm. I'm ready for the Russian ambassador. Who did your makeup? We went for something dramatic. Do you like it? You look like a badger. Oh. Are you going to cry? Really? Well, what do you think you look like? Badger. Directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love it. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> So this movie, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos did The Lobster, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, among a few others. Um, kind of a kind of a polarizing director in a lot of ways. Like people kind of either are very intrigued by his work or kind of hate it. And I think this movie yeah. is receiving some of that same 
uh, criticism. Uh, a lot of people love it, and a, a few people that I've talked to don't like it. This is least it. divisive, though. Yeah, I would say, I would say yeah, this is his most uh, approachable, maybe universal movie um in terms of appeal i think it's a great movie uh it's still in theaters so go check it out if you haven't seen it already um i believe queen anne played by elizabeth or i'm sorry uh olivia coleman i believe she's gonna win best actress at the academy awards she won last Mm -hmm. night at the golden globes for uh musical or comedy best actress um emma stone and rachel vice play her her uh sort of muses slash lovers slash assistants um whatever yeah. it's a, a cool love uh, cool I'm, I'm gonna stop using cool a uh, <laughs> compelling compelling love story uh, love yeah. triangle in in many ways and yeah i mean just olivia coleman's performance was uh, astounding um you know the the 17 bunnies that she takes care of and you know that represent yeah. her 17 stillbirths was a pretty like serious moment in that in her performance but uh you know compelling to watch those bunnies hop around the room and made for great comedy in a lot of ways um shout out to the bunnies shout out to horatio the fastest duck in the city just wanted to <laughs> make mention of that scene that was that was good stuff and um you know like the first few minutes i knew i knew this movie had this sort of like comedic appeal people were really thinking it was funny and lighthearted and i wasn't really getting that for the first few moments until um the scene in the ballroom when rachel vice is dancing with that guy and it just like goes full full comedy and like yeah. satire it's a rapid comedic clip i mean i yeah. saw this in in brooklyn and people were laughing like it was like super bad or you I know. know like i mean it's brooklyn too and you know i'm in a right. bubble but it was uh the amount of laughs i was definitely stood out to me yeah I, I i like the favorite for sure i guess my main critique was it's a lot of those characters in the same setting for two hours and like mm. I, I guess at some point it just wore thin for me but okay i i really enjoyed how um it makes you really realize just how awful it would have been to be alive during those times. Like, the <laughs> sure. Dirt and grime and disease. Right. And like, even if you're a queen, your life expectancy is like, you know, 47, you know, it right. just, she has, she it, has it, the gout. <laughs> She's fighting right. gout the whole movie. And yeah. And the costume, the production design's amazing. Uh-huh. That mansion has been used, um, in a lot. That's like a very, I, I like, you know, like dark Knight rises and mm-hmm. like a bunch of, um, forget that there's like several like very big movies that have used that that mm-hmm. mansion as as uh in, in past films but. yeah uh i loved the credits just the uh the font and the kerning and line mm. spacing yeah. that was used with the yeah, text very good was, typography yeah really interesting and you know like it's just boring credits and it can be kind of like sure. a throwaway but it was like interesting to look at and fill the frame or whatever um and really good cinematography here. Uh, a lot of like fisheye lenses and like 14 yeah. millimeter lenses, which like distorts the image in a lot of ways, like in the center of the frame. But it, it creates like this really wide encompassing image. And it was mm-hmm. used very effectively in that massive, you know, compound of a house and and the yard and such. And yeah, just uh, interesting to look at and 
Um, I, I will say I did have to watch this movie from the front row of the theater. It was a disaster. Ooh. Like, uh, so I know I'm going to see <laughs> it again. Back just laughing. At- no, but it kind of made for like an interesting experience because of what I just said, like the fisheye and the really wide angle distorted images. Like it even, it lent itself kind of well to that, that look. And so I definitely will be seeing this again, hopefully in the theater, but perhaps at home. Uh, but yeah, that's the favorite. It's my number three. So my number two, it's another, probably the second funniest movie of the year. First Reformed. No. <laughs> it is First Reformed. But nice. This movie, I mean, if we want to talk about going uh, the across the aisle in terms of, of tone. Yeah. First Reformed is my number two. You need someone to take care of you. I want you to be happy. I know that nothing can change. And I know there is no hope. Reverend Toller? Yes, Mary. You must come over. You must come over now. I've been meaning to watch this. It came out, I believe, in May. Mm-hmm. I was kind of dreading watching it because I just have heard how how dark it was. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad I did because I think this is the best like made movie of the year. Mm. Uh, I know you, you recently saw this and texted me that it was a real hoot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which... <laughs> Of course, of course, there was some sarcasm there, but written, directed by Paul Schrader, uh-huh. who made uh, Taxi Driver, who, who wrote Taxi Driver, and uh-huh. you can definitely feel that comparison, most notably in the voiceover um, yeah. nature of this film. Yeah, very Travis where, Bickle uh, stuff going on. Ethan Hawke plays this um, this pastor, pre I forget exactly, but he, you know he runs this church and he's full of uh, despair given kind of the uh, the dark details of of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was, it, it's just such a powerful movie. It sucks you in completely. It's a slow, engrossing burn of a film. Mm-hmm. I think it was the best screenplay of the year. It should definitely win best original screenplay at the Oscars. I really hope it does, especially mm. Paul Schrader. He's, he's getting up there in age and he, he should be recognized. This is a towering achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found every line of voiceover to be just like completely gripping and meaningful, like profound. Mm. Um, it's an amazing performance by Ethan Hawke. Really tough mm-hmm. to pull off because it shows this emotional restraint where he, he needs to. It's a very controlled performance. He's such a mm-hmm. sad and lonely character, but it draws you in. I I was reading this interview in, in Vulture recently where uh, Ethan Hawke said, you know, Paul asked me if I knew what a recessive performance was. This was when they were, you know, first meeting about the movie. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, most performances are trying to entertain you or to capture your imagination, thrill you, make you laugh, cry. But like a recessive performance, like avoids the audience, mm-hmm. which is like something that only like a super seasoned actor could pull off. I mean, Ethan Hawke's yeah. been in movies for 30 years. Yeah. And Great this is like one of my favorite performances. And you know, despite how intense this movie gets at times, it, it, it feels measured. It's not manipulative. Um, you know, there's these themes of uh, environmental doom and yes. grief and radicalism, really uplifting stuff. But no, I mean, it, it's just, look, it, it's dark, but it, no. it, it just really, really effective. Yeah. There's that great shot of the, the Pepto-Bismol in the <laughs> green whiskey that uh-huh. everyone that's into cinematography is seemingly like tweeted about. And you know, um, that's a, uh, I, I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's exactly like the antacid or whatever it was in the, in the water in taxi driver. It's almost the exact same shot. The the, fizzing antacid. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I know uh, someone in this movie that I did as an extra, like he played this guy. Oh, nice. uh, he, I'm sure he's not listening. He's more of an acquaintance, but we've done like some music stuff together in the past. <laughs> cool. He's in the, um, his name's Ron. He's in the, the children's, uh, or not the cho- the choir that's like singing. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That they, they show really like good. once or twice. Yeah. yeah. I was watching. I was like, holy, what? I know that guy. <laughs> that's um, cool. Which is like not something I typically experience, you know, when you're watching a yeah. movie. So that was a funny experience, but you know, the ending, we won't get into it in detail, but it's it's just very surreal, it's perplexing, mm-hmm. it's quite disturbing, but, like, one that has stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, definitely watch this movie alone, preferably alone. <laughs> well, um, so, but, I wanted to mention, yeah. I, I watched this movie on my iPad on an airplane flying back to Virginia from from California for winter break, and... I don't know if that took away from the experience at all. Like I really enjoyed it. It was it was right there with Widows as like my yeah. almost in my honorable mentions in my top twenty for sure. Um, I really really liked this movie. Um, I mean that just goes to show you like the strength of this year. Like your number three and number two were just outside of my list, you know. So, but I, I easily could have switched them for something on my list. It just you know shows how fluid uh, it kind of is, but. Uh, really enjoyed this movie. Um, I think everyone should see it in terms of the the message that's going on here. Like you like you mentioned, the in, impending uh, global doom <laughs> is is sort of the the big takeaway. And that that scene with the the guy, the you know husband character, um, was really. Uh, really alarming like i was sitting on an airplane oh, when he's explaining that. like his rationale yeah like his worldview I mean, this guy makes yeah. a lot of good points <laughs> i mean for sure like we don't need to dive into that but uh yeah that was that was pretty alarming and kind of a weird thing to watch on a plane uh and i'll definitely watch it again there's really good cinematography in this especially the opening shot i thought was really like the symmetrical sort of uh tilt up to the church uh, the first reformed church that um, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke works at. Uh, really great shot. And yeah, really, really good movie. Word. So what is your number two? By the way, we're, we're setting a must go faster record right now with this length. Um, yeah. If we're you're just still going with, for uh, it. Th- thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Screw it. It's, you know, we got a lot to say. So uh, we're, we're, we're getting to uh, the end, end of the road here though. So what is your, what is your number two, Rob? Okay. My number two is a Japanese film called Shoplifters. Mm. It's written and directed by Hirokazu Korida. And this this film won the Palme d'Or at at Cannes, which is the, you know, the basically like best picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically a story about an unconventional family and the power of love and connection to sort of overcome all obstacles um it like i said japanese so subtitled um it's one of those movies that as i walked out of the theater and looked around my my place of of living and you know the the world it's like you walk you know when you walk out of a movie and you just like see the world differently for a little while and you're yeah. noticing things that you've never seen before in your own neighborhood and like mm. you're noticing like the beauties the beauty of trees around you and like little yeah, things yeah, yeah. and like oh i never noticed like that is on the horizon over there and it's just one of those movies that like you see light and color a, a little more vividly for a little while and 
you think about your place in the world and that's that's what shoplifters did for me um amazing child performances the two characters uh yuri and shota um it's this young girl and boy captivating to watch and i'm i'm pretty astounded by how they were directed and how the director was able to capture these performances they're just really amazing uh the grandma character was amazing um it's hard to describe this movie because i know a lot of people have not seen it but uh it's an interesting yeah um I, I know I've that heard you'll, great things. Yeah. yeah, I know you'll love it. Uh, had some really interesting like sequences of of shoplifting in stores with like kids and an adult teaching him how to shoplift, which was you know an interesting new sort of uh, dynamic that I've never seen mm-hmm. on screen before. Um, I saw it alone in the theater and um, definitely like a really moving experience. I produced tears a few times, uh, a lot of, a lot of sniffling going on in the theater around me. And I, if it's playing, you should check, uh, you know, your local listings or whatever. And if it's playing anywhere around you, I highly recommend anybody, uh, should go see this movie. Nice. I will be seeing it in 2019 for sure. <laughs> nice. Nice. Good. So we're at, our number ones. I'm confounded. What is your number one, man? I I don't. <laughs> you have what is it? you have you have mentioned it by name on this on this podcast. Uh, okay. During this episode, but um, it oh, is I know minding it is. the gap. Yeah, minding the gap. <laughs> I'm making this film because I saw myself in your story. I always felt like I didn't fit in with my family. My parents ran this very controlling house. I ran away a lot. Skateboarding is more of a family than my family. So this is the most moving film I saw this year, directed by uh, Bing Liu, I think that's how you pronounce it. I think that's right, yeah. Documentary that takes place uh, in this Rust Belt town of, of Rockford, Illinois. It was shot over the span of 12 years. And it essentially just follows these three young men as they grow from, you know, adolescence to being more like young adults. Uh, they're named uh, Kier, Zach, and, and, and Bing, the guy who, who made the movie, is also kind of a subject in it. Mainly focuses on the story of those three. Um, as they kind of just face like emerging responsibilities and they're, uh, you know, tell more about their, their backstories, they all had a, abusive fathers, which is kind of this unfortunate uh, thread, you know, thing that, that yeah, that thread that, that um, brings them together. They all grew up skateboarding. This is like the uh, the second movie on my top ten list that was very heavy, like in, in skateboarding culture. It's pretty remarkable that this and mid nineties came out in the same year because they're so closely related and similar. But a one's little, a documentary, yeah, yeah. One's, one's a narrative. Sure. So you know the plot on paper, you're probably like, okay, like it, it sounds uneventful, but it's just really about this emotional connection you make with the kids they profile. They're just so honest and engaging on camera. They're just being themselves. And Minding the Gap, this documentary is just so damn human and like true to life. There's so much vulnerability on display here with these kids. They're flawed, but they all, you know, mean well. You're rooting for them. And it just makes you realize that just everyone in life is just like trying and like dealing with the circumstances they were dealt. Mm -hmm. Um, And it life, you know, it's complex and nothing is black and white and there's this gray area that most of life just happens in. And this documentary to me, like really um, connected, connected with that truth. 
it's just made with so much empathy and compassion and forgiveness like towards its subjects. Like you'll feel like you know these kids by the end of it and they're people that you care about mm-hmm. in your life going forward. Uh, you know, I, I did not experience a childhood anything like theirs, but there was still like a ton of emotional resonance. Um, yeah. Amazing shots of them skateboarding. Uh, like they're really good skaters. The oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're like, like yeah, they go pro. One of them yeah. got um Kier got like a sponsor he ended up oh yeah yeah Yeah, they said that but yeah yeah he and uh just like these long tracking shots of them skating this beautiful Uh balance between the heavy emotional aspects of the story um you know it's a release for them personally and it's also a nice release for the viewer from like the drama of the story Mm -hmm. and this the ending man is like very cathartic there's an amazing um, song placement, uh, a sync of uh, this song by the Mountain Goats called This Year. And it just the way it hits, like I never cry in movies, but I was almost moved to tears like at the end credits of here. And Ever cry in movies? Hardly ever. No. Jeez, I didn't know I was talking to a stone tablet. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this has to be a top ten all time documentary for me, probably. Nice. Um, and I just I'm constantly recommending it to people. It's on Hulu. Stream it on Hulu. Do it now. Turn yeah. off. Turn off the. We'll listen to Rob's one pick and then and then watch <laughs> Mind in the Gap because yeah. it is it is incredibly moving and you'll end up like really just caring for these subjects that it profiles. And I just, yeah, I, I just thought this was a beautiful documentary and it was just trying to figure out what my number one was. I kept going back to this one and this, the nice. way it made me feel and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I could not deny it. And minding the gap is my number one film that I saw in 2018. Nice. Well, it will definitely be nominated for best uh, documentary feature and mm-hmm. likely will win. Uh, great documentary. Perhaps. It was, like I said before, a great year for documentaries, and this was definitely one of those, one of my favorite as well. Really, really mm-hmm. well done. And uh, just the story com- kind of comes together through the editing. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, uh, the director shot it over the course of years and was very like therapeutic for him, like dealing with uh, his father's or his stepfather's uh, treatment of him. And yeah, it was, it was really, really great documentary. So I'm, I'm glad you chose it. So should we do my number one quickly and we'll get out of here and <laughs> let people go back to their lives? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. People are going to listen to this in like 11 parts. Yeah. We'll release well, that's this. Fine. It's like, <laughs> we no, love but, movies, uh, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what my number your... one, I am going to go with uh, the instant classic of Roma, yes. the Alfonso Cuaron uh, film that is very personal to him. He wrote, directed, shot, and co-edited this movie. Um, it takes place in uh, Mexico City, like a little area called Roma. Uh, where he grew up with his family, and it's basically the story of the uh, the caretakers in his family, the the two women that really took care of their household and their family, really like you know tied the family together and kept things afloat for them, as it appears in the film. And um, so this movie 
is very uh, compelling in a lot of ways and a topic of many conversations right now because of the way it was released. It's, you know, a Netflix release and came out on Netflix November 21st. Um, I actually saw it. I saw an early screening, I think three weeks before it came out on Netflix uh, at UCLA. Uh, We had an early screening opportunity. And I think seeing it on the big screen in an amazing theater with a great sound system, you know, added to my level part of this. Yeah. The sound design, I think it will win the Oscar for best sound design um, and maybe mixing as well. Uh, It's a huge character in this film. Um, Just the level of like craftsmanship in all regards in this movie is just really like staggering to me. Um, like I don't know how I don't know how he did it. Like uh, yeah, in a lot of it's ways, very like, immersive. Yeah, I mean, and, I I watched it at home, which is maybe why it's not in my right. top ten. But I mean, yeah, the filmmaking is like undeniable, and there's a few mm-hmm. sequences in here that are better than anything. Oh yeah, yeah, and but it's interesting. Like it's definitely not the most entertaining movie of the year. But to me, no. it's just to me. I chose no. it as the best movie of the year because of the craftsmanship and yeah. the level of like perfection in a lot of ways and yeah it is it is shot you know in in a black and white uh format but it's it has this interesting like hue to it it's almost it's not sepia um but it's has this like purplish tint to the black and white that was really Mm. beautiful like never really seen anything like it was almost like creamy Mm. um just really beautiful like especially watching it on 4k television at home i rewatched it recently it's just really beautiful to watch and like the contrast and everything is just like so meticulously worked out and thought through um like i said corone shot it himself um which is insane like i just don't know how he did it um it feels like the blending of like modern cinematic craftsmanship at its highest levels put into a very simple sort of straightforward personal family story yeah, observational and, yeah and yeah. and the camera itself um doesn't move in and out really at right. all it's all it's all on like side to side a lot of dolly mm-hmm. shots that move side to side a lot of uh there's no like know, close-ups stills. Yeah, a lot of still cam, still cam like 360s and like very wide pans. And it was almost um, like agonizingly uh, deliberate camera movements at times. (laughs) But then in the house, especially toward like the first half of the film, but it it becomes sort of mesmerizing to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, You you felt like you saw every square inch of the home that they lived in and that was obviously like very important for Coron to capture like his his childhood I'm I'm sure he would tell you um so yeah the cinematography was just an amazing achievement it's gonna like the the framing and composition I don't want to get too like nerdy it's it's clearly (laughs) it's clearly a huge hit in film schools like I I quite literally watched it with in a film school with a bunch of film and theater students. So like maybe that tainted my view of it a little bit. Everyone's like super respectful. You know, you could hear a pin drop in there at times. There was like a few. Yeah. You guys are all two, on the same tear jerker moments. Yeah. I mean, it's people I'm surrounded by people that like appreciate the art of film. So like it was the perfect environment to watch a movie like this. Um, I mean, just the performances were amazing. I think he should win best director. 
uh, sound design, as I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I'm just this movie just gets me excited about the art of film. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's why I want to be a part of that world. You know, like it's why mm-hmm. I want to dedicate my life to like shooting films uh, or whatever, mm-hmm. shooting anything. So <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't want to get like too uh, overstated here, but like. It, it it it's like deeply no, it emotional in a lot of ways for me just because like i it makes me like yeah, i don't know I, I went through a lot last quarter and it like made me remember why, why i was doing it. this you know yeah, like yeah. wow this is this is like the pinnacle of what can be put on a screen and like shown to the world and draw emotion out of people so uh i yeah i don't want to get too crazy about it but i think it's i think it's a classic like it's a really really good movie and it it brings up a lot of interesting conversations as i said about where you should watch this movie you know what is the proper way to watch it you know obviously it's only in a few theaters now but if you can if you can go out and see it in the theater i think seeing the images bigger than you you know larger than life as Mm -hmm. as it is on a theater screen is well worth it and the sound design as i said in the theater you know hopefully like a five or 7.1 like dolby system would be ideal but uh whatever you can get um if you can watch it at home or if you have to watch it at home i just recommend that you take the time to you know get all your snacks and drinks ready and just you know lock into it try not to pause it and just really like just let yourself be uh enraptured by the experience and just take it all in in one sitting um Mm -hmm. and that's that's the way it's meant to be viewed so yeah that is uh that's roma what i know you it's not on your top 10 do you have any like takes on why I mean, we're at 145, so I'll... I'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I watched it at home the weekend it came out. As I said, yeah, cinematography, filmmaking, aesthetic, like, extremely high level, had a few jaw-dropping sequences. For me, I guess, um, and given that I didn't see it in the theater and didn't have that, you know, quite of immersive quality, obviously, that you mm-hmm. experienced, um, I just thought, yeah, the the... The story and the character and the writing was just like a little bit lacking. And, you know, I've been hearing about this movie all year in like film circles of like, this is a masterpiece. I'm not saying it isn't. I guess I I think maybe my expectations were mismanaged a little bit upon sure. my first viewing. And then well, I mean, and that's if understandable. I had I've heard a lot of theaters, people with that take, like it was just yeah. too hyped up. And then it yeah. just, it's kind of a and, simple, like boring in a way presentation well, it's, yeah just kind of like uh, uh yeah observational like year in the yeah. life of the, this caretaker in 1970s mexico and it just follows her and this family around and the events that unfold and some of the events are very dramatic and a lot of them kind of aren't in but it's still like i'm not gonna knock it i mean it, it deserves its praise everything you said was, was, was i completely understand and Mm -hmm. it it was well said so yeah uh, without you know trying not to sound like too much of a like snob and you know pretentious film person but like it just really is a quite an achievement and will be studied and remembered and you know talked about for years to come i believe and um the subtlety of the direction it was really really impressive a lot of like I mean, most of these actors are unknowns um, and discovered just for this film. And the the level of, uh, you know, pulling out an amazing performance from 
untrained actors just shows like the the ability of of Coron to uh pull a performance out so yeah uh yeah any final takeaways for the year should we just call it quits here let's, and yeah <laughs> my voice is going you know ragged. what i'm gonna uh let's rika let's start back in january of 2018 yeah. i want to talk about um you know sundance <laughs> and then we're gonna move into you know, uh, yeah, this is going to do it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Uh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. This will conclude our Best of 2018 series. Now that we're into 2019, we'll be back with a new episode on some uh, other content that we're looking, you know, that'll be in 2019 and yes, things of that nature. So spread the word. Thanks so much. Go watch Escape at Danamora. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other... Uh, we'll be talking about that <laughs> in the next pod. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, peace out, Rob. It was great, great uh, sharing this uh, this top ten with you. For sure. Yeah, go spread the word to all your friends and family that are interested in in pop culture, especially movies. This one. And thanks as always for listening. Thanks for sticking with us if you made it through. And we'll be back soon. Peace.